extremely summery day. Okay, so um, we're gonna just pop around a little bit. I'm just gonna ask these guys, and we're gonna pop out random, and, and my first question to these guys would be, uh, not that I'm gonna be asking all the questions, is, uh, you know, we are here, part of global, most of, all of us are pretty much part of the furniture, or, um, I think all of us is 13 years plus in this, um, in this community. Uh, so just the question is, what did you do before you got here, um, and how did you get here? So let's start there from the end by Clara. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I, uh, I joined Service for Christ of the school. Um, I'll share a little more, uh, bit more about how the Lord um, led me to do Service for Christ. But out of, out of uh, being exposed to um, nations, that's probably where uh, the Lord changed my heart. Um, to go to nations. Uh, I, I, I was in service for three years and, and then I had a bit of a moment where I was like, Yo, I don't think I want to do this for the rest of my life. <laughs> um, you know, like maybe I was burnt out, maybe I was tired of um, doing camps, I'm not sure, but I reached a point I'm like, I'm going somewhere where nobody knows me. Um, I have no framework of anything about me. I'm going to start fresh. So I went to Cape Town for three years and farmed on a family farm. So if you want to know where I was before I came here, I was pruning vineyards and um, picking um, citrus and I had 150 women working underneath. And that's when Anna Marie found me and said, um, would I consider pioneering 2006 or so? And I was like, <laughs> don't fund me. <laughs> um, anyway, so that led to me going to France for a weekend where I helped a colleague camp, do camps for a year. And I um, hiked up a mountain at 4 o'clock in the morning. And, I, and the Lord met me there. And he's like, I've always asked you to go to the nation. Uh, so uh, that was a very defining moment in my life and I've never ever since um, looked back and wondered or wanted to do anything else but be where Jesus is busy working in the nation. So that's how I got here with the pruning scissors in my hand. <laughs> what Clara leaves out of her story is that when Anne found her, Anne quoted that verse that says the harvest is plentiful. <laughs> Bring your scissors. Pruning is very symbolic. Yeah, I grew up in a town that really didn't give me any, any life expectations beyond <laughs> the yard almost. Um, but through service here for Christ, I ended up in Port of Strom studying to become a teacher. And during those years, I believe it was very formative in my love for missions that uh, was where i was first exposed to missions going abroad and and doing missions um, and so it was then going to london for a year and coming back to south africa uh, for another year in euthanite and in that year the lord spoke to me about you know committing full-time to missions and then i went on the missionary journey for uh, with world race global challenge up to 2009 
Um, but in recent years, Tani Marikim uh, led this school initially. But what the Lord reminded me, which I think is significant just in my story, in that time that I had to decide to just, you know, take the lead from Tani Mariki within education, God reminded me, I never thought of this story ever in the last 20 years. But back in 2021, 20, 20, 20, 2001. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's like really far back. Oh, God. Okay, so we were at university bunking a class and um, sitting on a pavement, a couple of friends, and they weren't believe. well, some of them were, some of them weren't believers. And we were just sharing about our dreams. What do, we want, what do we really want to do one day? And the Holy Spirit reminded me of something I said on that pavement. We're bunging a class. I uttered the words, I one day want to be a principal of a creative, unique, completely different school. I said it, that, it just came out of my mouth at that moment. And it was kind of a surprise, you know, to me that I would say that. Why would I... And I forgot about that. And God reminded me about that when we, when we were in the decision phase. So it's interesting yeah, how the Lord can just deposit things in your life and bring it to fruition later on. There's a couple of other things that you said about the future, which I'm not going to share. <laughs> <laughs> I'm joking. Yeah, okay, my wife. Good morning, you guys. Um, yeah, so my story is I am um, part of what Stefan is sharing just um, when I was growing up um, in Vetbank, Balboa, um, in a very mining town. And um, people would ask me randomly, what are you going to do one day? And I said, I'm going to go around the world. I'm going to travel. Mm-hmm. But I, well, there was no way in our family that, that we could afford that. Um, so yeah, it was, and then uh, I had a few encounters with the Lord as I was growing up. Moments where the Holy Spirit would just kind of sit on me very heavily, and um, I've just known the Lord from from. He's just always been there, and then um, into in, when I was in grade eight, I saw Sia Grace um, at school, and I love it. I was like, I'm going to do that one day. And I felt as I sat there, I said, Lord, this is what I want to do. And then in grade 12, I asked my parents, can I please, I want to do this. And they said, no, you have to go and study. Um, so I submitted and I, I, well, I actually could go study occupational therapy in Stellenbosch or teaching. And... Um, the Lord taught me to go study teaching. I never wanted to be a teacher. I couldn't speak in front of girls. I would literally have headaches and fainting. <laughs> I, I, I still don't like it. Um, but I really felt the Lord said, you need to go study teaching. So I went to Turkey's University for four years, and I did my, my honors and my degree in four years. I was privileged to be able to do and then, yeah, at the end of that, I was broken. I lost something of the Lord in that. And, um, but the heart to go to the nations 
was still there and Sea Grace was still burning there. I, I remember I was part of the Joshua generation that you held in Johannesburg. I was one of those great tingles. I was, oh, it was awesome. So, um, yeah, went to Sea Grace for an interview and I was accepted and I did Sea Grace for two years. In my second year, I was part of the leadership. And then an email came. In, in that year, I felt the Lord calling me to India. And, and randomly, um, he just confirmed that. And then, so I was ready. I, I, the only thing I had was my car, and I sold it for 6,000 rand. It's a, oh, God, it gave. I'll say, oh, God. But <laughs> that is what I had. And I said to the Lord, this is, I can give this. And um, an email came through from Anne into our leadership and, and said, this is what she's planning, this place for one person. <laughs> and I was busy, there was a girl dancing in front of me, we were busy with the interview. I shouldn't have looked on the emails there, but as I was reading this, I just felt how the Holy Spirit just dropped, and I just started crying, and there was, I had to leave the room. And as I left the room, the Lord said, you are that one. Lord, there is no way that I can go to India. That's one place that there's no way I can travel the world. But I, I, and the Lord gave me Isaiah 49 verse 6 that says, you will be a light to the nations. And, and that is, I stepped out in faith there and came to World Race and did that for a year. And my journey looks a little bit different than these guys. Came back in 2006 after that year, and it was amazing. It was tough, it was hard, but it was such, such, such a privilege. My, yeah. And then the Lord said to me, I had to go back home. And I did not want to go back home. I didn't want to go back to bed. <laughs> not. And I, I went back home, and the Lord. What, what the Lord led me to do is there's mining and then there's people actually staying on the mining heaps in plastic townships. And we started the kitchens feeding those people on the mine. And every morning I would drive my little kumbiki and go feed these different communities. <laughs> but, um, and in that year, then the Lord called me and said to me, I want you to go to Shalom, to Greater. And I didn't know Uncle, I didn't know Uncle Angus, I didn't know what he did, I didn't know about the, the, the movie. But I, I went in obedience, and when I drove in there, the Lord said to me, you will be here, and this is your safe place. And um, so I was at Shalom for a year, leaving the orphanage there and running back. And just actually dropping children at the school and coming back. But, um, and then Stephen came and I said, please come back. So um, I said no to Stephen, I'm not coming back. And in a week's time, the Lord just constantly confirmed to me, you need to come back to Jeffrey's Bay. And so Uncle Angus, I prayed with him and he said, Esther, we release you to go back. And so here I am. So, I'm sorry, that's too long. That's good. 
Yeah, I think it, it, for me, it's, um, I, I was about eight years old eight, when uh, in a Dutch Reformed church. Now for you, I'm, I'm turning 40, so that means it's a long time ago. Um, and in a Dutch Reformed church, I had a guy for those who went to Portuguese, his name is Janeman van Wijk. When I was eight years old, he walked to my mother and he pointed his finger at me and he said, your son will work for the Lord for the rest of his life. And, he, and, and that was it. I mean, from there on, I think if you looked at my teenage years, you would think he's crazy. Um, because I went through a bit of a rough patch. Um, I don't see very well. And if you have any form of, you know, looking different than anybody else, high school is hard. Uh, and then you fight for acceptance. And then you have to do certain things. So I, you know, kind of went that way. Um, but went through this and, and after, after school went to study. Uh, very focused. I always said, I don't want to learn how to change the light bulb. I want to make enough money that I can pay someone to do it. <laughs> uh, regardless to say, I change light bulbs now regularly. <laughs> <laughs> uh, my aim was to be a millionaire at 28. I'm, you know, past 38 still and it didn't happen, but it's okay. Because somewhere in this, <laughs> somewhere in this journey, <laughs> Somewhere in this journey, some crazy guy decided to, to ask me to, to go to a camp, which I thought is absolutely mad because um, most of the other people would never take me to a camp like that. I don't want, so if you have some time with me for coffee somewhere, I'll tell you that the whole story. I don't want to um, go into details now. Um, but in the end, what happened is I was searching for a long time for what was going on. I, you know, brought up in the right places. And then it's like I was hunting after things. It was, you know, who I am, what, you know, what is... And the evening, we went into a session in Marcelsport, and when we started to worship together as a heap of young people, that was the moment that everything changed for me. No one said, if you would like to accept Jesus, you know, cross your toes, you know, put up your... Nothing. No one made an altar call. No one was speaking to me. No one... The moment... I felt and I know the presence of God when people worship together. In that moment, everything changed for me. And I felt, from there on, I felt like David to say, I want to dwell in the house. I want to dwell here in your presence all the days of my life. There's nothing, at that moment, I realized there's nothing else I wanted to do with my life than just to, to be in that moment. So from there, um, from there, I, you know, that's how the Lord worked differently. I really wanted to go to see a Christ. I applied to go to see a Christ. Um, and just before I went to see a Christ, uh, the Lord kind of moved me to say, don't go there. Go to Dinsbar, Dinsbar for Christmas. So I went that way. And that was the Lord's journey because that was the Lord's journey in my life. Otherwise, I wouldn't have been sitting here. Um, and, and for me, with a, you know, with a bit of a musical, you know, drama-ish um, personality, Sekrais would actually be the first option. Um, but the Lord has His way. And He moved, and, and I had to work in, I, I worked in Dinshaw um, for Christmas. I went there for a year, and then went away for a little bit. I'm a bit rebellious, just confession. So I kind of, you know, after a year, deviated a bit. And when I came back, I kind of just never left again. Because I... I found life working with young people, being in a place where people worship together, having sessions all over South Africa. Um, but in the middle of all of this, I remember I um, we went to some. I went to Zimbabwe with Annemarie many years ago. I can remember. I still saw a picture of me cooking on a pot of soup 
I, in a you know a long white sleeve yeah shirt with my purple tie and you know because I was just in church the morning and my heart broke something happened in my heart there to see something I've never experienced in that community is as if life and everything else that was important to me ceased everything stopped and the only thing that I could see and understand is the people in front of me and what Jesus wants me to do here. And, and that changed. And then a, a couple of years later, we, we went to Bosnia again with service here. And in these two things, something in my life changed to say, Lord, I know I am called for this. And that's kind of how I ended up with the first year, Anita and Stefan and Clara. All these guys went on the first journey. And I said to Anna-Marie, I just have to do one more year at service here. I, um, so I didn't go with it. Um, I had to finish something which I believed I had to do. And after that joining, got married to my beautiful wife, this one. Um, and that's, I mean, it's been, I said, yeah, it's, it's, it's 14 years later. And, and here we are. And that's part of how Jesus called me into this community, into this, this beautiful part. He had the journey where he had to stir my heart to say, this is what you thought is important, but this is it. And still what keeps my heart going today in community is when we come together and people come together, and we start to worship and the presence of Jesus is there. There's nothing else that can do that. Yeah. There's nothing else. And that's my story. How I got here. Yeah, it touches on. This is upstairs with your hat. <laughs> <laughs> um, yes, I will try to keep it short. Um, I grew up in beautiful time and I really had a great childhood. Um, but when I was 16 years old, my dad died suddenly of cancer. It was like a, it was from January to April that we had with him. So he had colon cancer. Um, we are five children, so I'm the second youngest. And I think the thing that made it bearable for me is that my dad played his life to me just before he was that was amazing, that was just like, I remember um, thinking that my daughter, like I said, very kind of different way, my kind of different And um, that was where I think I really made it all. And then June, July, I went on my first outreach when I was six years old. I think we were at the same Bula Park, Joshua. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I think, yeah. <laughs> So that's where I got to um, got to see Service Here for Christ and see Christ and all of that. And I went um, on my first outreach to Zambia. I remember it was to style, still leading that, and we went in this big truck. And I just knew the Lord is calling me to something bigger. Um, so yeah, I was kind of the odd one in my family because. I'm still the odd one in my family. Um, my brothers and sisters doesn't really know at all. So it was kind of a tough thing to stand up in our house and to say I'm a believer. Um, but yeah, then I also decided I'm going to do service here for Christ. And I was um, involved in UXA at school, leading um, the missions leg of the UXA community. Of <laughs> so, but um, when I got to matric, it was kind of, I want to see the world. 
decided with my best friend, I'm going to London. I will do Sympathy for Christ London. So, um, got my visa, matriculated, and then, like, I think it was a week before I needed to fly out, I was driving with my mom, and there was a Sympathy bus driving past. <laughs> The um, they were busy with training in Moses Square. At that time, the Lord said to me, Remember your commitment. Because um, at that conference in Villa Park, they asked, Will you give a year of your life? And I was, it was so bad for me because <laughs> I had everything planned, a lot of friends going to London, and here I am dropping them. But I just knew the Lord wanted me to leave service here. So we followed the bus <laughs> to Mosul Square. I remember Corby greeting me and we organized everything and the next day I was in the service of Christ. Um, so yeah, I was there for three years, but the amazing thing is in that three years, I went four times to Europe, to Bosnia. In the end, I actually went to London as well. So I was, I remember walking in London and thinking, it's just a different way of getting to London than I wanted to. So after that I knew I was kind of pressed to study. And um, I think if the travel bug bites you, it's really difficult to go and study. Because all I wanted to do was travel. Um, so I've decided to go and study travel and tourism because I can travel. <laughs> That's what I'm for. Um, so I studied in Stellenbosch, but afterwards I had, I had a few um, student loans to pay back. And during that time, Clara was in Stellenbosch, Ach, not Stellenbosch, Cape Town. And I just want to mention it that I remember living on a budget of 500 rand per month for my food, my clothes, everything, just trusting the Lord. So sometimes I would call Clara and say, I don't have any money. <laughs> so Clara would pay money into my bank account. And yeah, we were looking after each other and visiting. So that was the same time that she was forming. I was in Sunwash. Um, and then after my studies, I got a post at Hobby World Travel in Sunwash as a travel agent. Um, and I remember the day, I don't know if you know, remember it, and I was coming in and it was snowing everywhere. And Annie's like, let's go and see the snow. And I'm like, I can't, I need to work from 8 to 5. And I was so tempted just to stand up and walk out and go and see the snow because that's what I wanted to do. I don't want to be in an office. Um, so yeah, that day I actually realised I'm not doing what I want to do. Here I'm sitting booking tickets for everybody to go, but I'm not able to go. So um, then I resigned and I came back to Jobe and I was as PA for a year or two, I think. <laughs> and then we um, did the program Peter Drum in Swaziland and Transcape, and I was involved in designing the curriculum for that. And that's where we met actually the Adventures in Missions people and I started to dream about going around the world. So yeah, I'm furniture. <laughs> 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 um, so I just fit in. 
Okay, so quick, I'm gonna, we don't have to go in any order. In two minutes, any mission story. Uh, I think yesterday when Anne said, and she showed, it was Willem and, and, and Stefan and Tara sitting there, and you know, she's, Stefan was saying, I was on this chair, and now I'm on this chair, and, and I looked at them, and I said, all of you started with missions. All of our hearts has got something connected in missions. Uh, and it's not about have you done a journey, please don't get me wrong. It's something of our heart for a love for Jesus and a love for people and a love for responding to Him. So in two minutes, randomly, any story in missions that touched your heart. I mean, there's a million, but just choose one in two minutes. A story of missions that touched your heart. So, I will pick this year when we were in India. Um, it's an orphanage that we went to, and at that moment there was huge persecution for that people that started the orphanage, and Bishop Thomas and his family, the guy that they actually started this orphanage. There's about 10,000 orphans in India, and they have this mission, these orphanage homes. Yeah, and from the start, the, I knew India is going to be an encounter for me. And um, oh, I remember when we got there, it's this dry land and just kids, just kids. And they just ran and love on you. But they really orphaned. And then the one day we were the, it started to rain, and we were having, we were sliding on the mud outside with these kids. We were just full of mud just enjoying, enjoying um, the kids. And then the next day, I think Bishop Thomas, that was persecuted at that time and was hiding actually and running away. I'm not, I can't remember it exactly, it's a long yes, time Yes, he came ago. out of jail. Yeah, and he came to visit his kids. And I mean, he started these orphanages and he's an old guy, just came out of, out of jail and his son. And as he drove in, you just see these kids I think there were 400, 600 kids lined up and he stood and he greeted every child, mm. every child. And then we said we will do a program and um, we had to share something and I had to share my story. And I'm like, I don't want to share my story. How do you share your story when a man is sitting there and giving his life for these children? And, and the Lord really just said, is I want you to share. So my story was that I, my mom and dad didn't plan me when they had me. I was an accident. So I always felt I shouldn't have been here. Um, and just feeling part of the family. And then I shared that. And as I shared that, he just said, is it that we invite you into this family? And for me, my spirit, there was just a moment that shifted. I said, I am, I am not ashamed to live. I'm not a mistake. I'm knitted together. I'm called into a family that is kingdom. And so I think <laughs> it's not a miracle out there for me. The miracle changed everything inside. I think um, my... Uh, defining moment with the Lord um, was probably my first outreach when I went to Bosnia. Um, uh, when I joined Service of Christ, I was 18 years old. You all know that. I still remember my mom has this image of um, me being uh, still 
smaller, having to put that back, back that the shot gave you on my back. And when she put it on my back, I just fell over. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I, I, let me just quickly just say this part. I didn't know what, it, what I wanted to do with my life. I wasn't um, I, I battled at school. I didn't like to study. It was difficult. And I, I couldn't imagine that I wanted to go and the university was intimidating for me, so but I was extremely well at sport. Like I wanted to devote my life actually to sport. So I got there's people in the area that said, but I can get a bursary and go to Australia and play hockey for Australia for two years, and then when I come back, I can start developing school for the kids in the rural areas. So that's kind of where my heart was set when I was in high school. Like maybe I should do something like that. But I recall a moment where the Lord encountered me in my room in, um, in final year of high school, and he just said to me, I, I want you to give your life to me. So service year for me wasn't a gap year. It was a place where I knew the Lord needs to prepare me for something. And that was the only framework and space in South Africa where you could actually say, you know, you know, teach me about Jesus or disciple me or make me a leader or do something with my life because the Lord has asked me to give it now. So when I signed up for service here, I signed my life up for Jesus. Mm -hmm. I didn't go there saying, let's see what this is about. So um, discipleship is very strong on my heart. My house church will know that. Um, and Jesus is very important to me. So I was discipled by Adna when I was 18 years old. And um, she had a, played a very big role in my life and a huge impact in just um, helping me find out who I am and um, you know that the Lord has a call in my life and how do I live that in you know in our culture and going against the stream of what to expect for you. Anyway, so I just want to say because of that, I value that a lot because it had a huge impact in my life. So when I got to Bosnia. Um, the, fra the, the setup in Bosnia is young people who have lost family members because of the war. And the heart of the church is to take the kids out of their environment into the mountains and then we do camps with them for like 10 days. It's kids that don't know how to play. They've never had the ability to play. They don't know how to climb a tree or go down a foofy slide or they don't know how to abseil or they've never swam in the lake before or they don't know what games is, you know, they've never touched each other, they've never laughed together, they've never been around the fire. So the church had, um, with Service Here for Christ, had this vision of gathering, just gathering kids on a, on a natural space, of saying, just be a kid, you know. And then we used that space to share the love of Jesus with so I was, a, I was a small group leader, like we all are sometimes in camps, right? <laughs> you never want to be a small group leader and then you become a small group leader. <laughs> Very awkward, eh? Um, so I, I was a uh, group leader and there was this 10-year-old boy, Elvis, in my team, in my small group. And then the leaders come to him and they say, oh, this is a bit of a problem child. And I'm like, oh, I'm a small group leader with a problem child. So those two are usually not good combinations. Anyway, the, the Lord just turned my heart to Elvis. And um, he was a 
broken boy. He had lost both his parents in that year. So he was alone. He had no family members taking care of him. The house was left to him. Everything was left to him, but he was 10 years old. And there was no system in that, at that stage after the war, to even capture kids. And the church kind of tried to. So I just leaned into Elvis for that two weeks, and I just loved him. Um, so that, that's something that I feel the Lord uses to change you. Like if you give your life to someone else fully, um, you understand something about Jesus. And um, so often people ask what nation draws you. I don't think nation draws you. I think that the, the people draw you. Mm-hmm. So Elvis was one of them. And I had the ability to lead two more teams back to Bosnia, um, to the camps. And I, I didn't lose contact with Elvis. I went to visit him in his hometown and I went to see where his house was. And saw his church and met this pastor. And Elvis today um, is a grown man. And man, I'm so proud of him. He is taken up like, um, almost like he's fully trained in all ropes and everything that we actually exposed him to. He's like fully trained rescue rescue so he's full on the front line of humanitarian so the earthquake that just hit Croatia he was on the front line like saving people out the rubble giving them water you know and like that's what missions is about and how can I not be here anymore like uh, what else do you do with your life you know like if the Lord um, if the Lord puts you there there's nothing else taste and see God's kingdom. Taste and see that I'm good. How can I not let other people taste and see the same thing? So, yeah. It was the first country, but it impacted me. I'd like to add on to uh, Clara. I think in this room, we're different ages. We've got different life experience. Uh, We've responded differently to the call of God at certain times in our lives. Um, it's only Jesus that qualifies us to actually, you know, through His grace, have part of His kingdom. There's nothing that any of us can do or deserve. It's not by works, it's by faith, by grace alone. And Elvis's story reminds me of the fact that you are here this morning isn't by accident. There was, when we were in China, you know, you can't share the gospel openly. And you have to do it either in a relationship, and if you would walk down the streets, Chinese students would come to you and say, can you teach me English, or can I speak to you, because I want to learn English. And there was one young man, Fan, his name was Fan, that in that way we built a relationship during the few days in, in the city that we were. And... Through our conversations, one evening we we had them in our hotel room and we were able to have a meal with them and then share the gospel. And we had Bibles that were in Chinese on the one page, English on the other. So exactly for the purpose of teaching these students Chinese or English. (laughs) And uh, when when we shared with Fan the gospel, Fan's response was, I've heard this before. And then when I, I prompted him to ask when, he said when he was a high school student at home, 
One morning, opening his door, there was a trap that some other missionary left on his doorstep explaining in Chinese the gospel of Jesus. That was the first, his first exposure to the gospel. We were his second exposure years later. That, but then when we shared it, he remembered that trap that, that someone put on his doorstep. We left that city without fan committing to the Lord. A year later, fan sent me an email and a third person went to share the gospel with him. And he then gave his life to the Lord. And so, I think the message in it for us this morning is, don't take lightly that what the Lord is doing in your life. This moment here, yes, it's storytelling. And this weekend is vision weekend. But it's a part of the story that the Lord has for your life. Ephesians 2 verse 10 says, He has prepared you good works for you to walk in them. It's predestined for you. Fan, meeting fan was predestined. The one giving the tracks for fan was predestined. Us telling that story today was predestined. And so that's for me the part of that. that those stories and that verse allowed me to understand that God has a plan and a purpose for my life. And so even if you're sitting here today, I just want to say that. God has a plan and a purpose for you being here and for this new era that He's leading us into. And He's included you in this story and in this new era. Although you might have last year or a week ago still felt on the outside or misunderstood or, you know, it's an invitation this weekend for you to realize God loves me. That's why I'm here. Yeah, I think, um, thanks Stefan, uh, I, I'm going to swing the ball to Anita, we're almost done, but I think what's important is, is a lot of these, we, we, we share a lot of these stories and that's a lot of things started, I remember us being, you know, three or four sitting in our old office in Dahab, um, so I think Stefan and Clara were, you know, they are going around the world with a team and it was us and Amago, so, and we're such a small group and we all came here because of, you know, something Jesus did in our hearts, but from there, uh, uh, I said to the guys the other day, probably one of the hardest words I've heard in my whole life was Uncle Joe. We were, you know, we did 80 days and we were all short-term missions here, then and the next. And Anita got, got pregnant and she's standing there and Uncle Joe is going to pray for her. And that's always wonderful for you and Uncle Joe. And he's going to prophesy and he says, and he lays his hands and he says, I feel the Lord saying, it's time to unpack your bags. What kind of word is that? <laughs> Can't I have another one? You know, it's like, it's like, can I sing that one back, please? But the Lord wanted to do something because for up till then, all our minds and hearts were just focused on. We want to. When you get back, the only reason why you went South Africa is to plan the next one. And then the Lord said something. It's and He said, it's time for your roots to go deep. And you, I think he said our house will be like a compound, something, <laughs> something like that. But I just knew at that time, I, I, maybe you know how many kids we're going to have. For that time, we, need, we knew we had to be, God said it's time for community. It's time for, it's not, not just about that. I want to establish something here in Jeffrey's Bay. We had no clue what, it, what it's going to look like. We had no you know, idea. So... Um, 
Anika, just say something about what it means to be in a community like this and going through a tough time. Yes, I think when we got created the first time, we all were shocked because... Me too. <laughs> I'm not the mamantita at all. I remember being pregnant and um, Chihuahua, our firstborn, was born and Anne-Marie taking me home and then we had to change his diaper and I'm looking at her and she looks at me and I have no idea how to change her. <laughs> so we put it the wrong way around. Now I can do it with my eyes closed, but um, yeah, Shuan was the first global kid. Um, I think everybody was so scared that I would forget him somewhere <laughs> or place him somewhere. <laughs> Because our lives was just like Francis said, that we were travelling the whole time, taking teams, dreaming. Um, it's, that was what we were used to. So it was a big thing for us to stay at home. Um, so yeah, Shivan was born, it was an easy burn, and then we got pregnant again very quickly um, with Janke. And I was so happy because she was a girl. And then after Janke, we decided, okay, that's it. We, we can't really afford to have another kid. I always wanted a lot of kids um, because I also came out of a big family. So Francia decided to go. <laughs> so yeah, so Francia went to the doctor and it was impossible for us to have. So um, we got snip snip <laughs> and then a month after that I got pregnant. Oh. So I remember I was, it was just like, it's not possible. It was not possible at all for us to have kids and I got pregnant. And um, yeah, it was a difficult time. I think also for me and Francia we've been through a difficult patch in our marriage and um, I remember Ian was born on the 17th of December and yeah, it was it was a difficult time but it was also a happy time and um, Anna Marie was there holding my hand and Franch was there and by some means the the doctor who was supposed to give me the spinal didn't do it properly. So when I took the out, I could feel, it felt like somebody throwing a kettle of burning like water on my stomach. So um, I wasn't able to hold the other at all. Um, Francia was with me and Emily was with me. And I was just trying to recover. Um, and then I saw his stomach was bloated and I thought maybe he swallowed some um, fat water and um, the, the doctor who gave me the spinal, she actually just got back from maternity leave so I don't know why but she said to everybody just don't give me milk um, and she was very worried but everybody was like it's going to be fine and I was in pain so I couldn't see him um, and then she came back and she said something's not right and um, 
we actually, with all our kids, we did skin to skin as soon as we could. My young was lying in the um, incubator. And then that evening, they transferred us to um, St. George's Hospital. I was still in such pain, and when I got there, um, they just gave me medicine to put me out of pain. So when I woke up, I didn't know where Ian was. Um, and they took me to the ICU, and Ian was lying there, and they didn't know what was going on with him. He had pipes everywhere. I was, that was actually the first time that I could touch him. So I was just sitting there, and um, I think the worst thing that can happen to anybody is losing a child. Um, so yeah, it was the miracle that happened is the doctor, when she went to sleep, it was as if the Lord reminded her of the last exam she had to go and write something on the board. Um, the lecturer, the lecturer ask her a question and she went and she wrote the condition on the board and she remembered that. And it's as if the Lord just told her, Ian has a problem with his supplements. And she called um, the hospital and she said, this is what's going on with him. Don't give him milk. Because if, if they give him any foods, he will, he will drown because he doesn't have a supplement. So um, through many tests, um, they've discovered that he doesn't have his esophagus. He's from the bottom it was connected to his lung and on top it was blind. So it's, it's kind of all the fluid that comes out of his nose is going into his lungs. So, um, yes, I remember just sitting there not knowing if he's going to make it. And I think if you think about community, the people that was there was Anna and I. Um, I remember so many times that they would say, just go out. And they can't find a, va a vein to put in um, his medicine, or it was, you know, that number 99 moment. And then I would just go out and I would just phone Anna and say, we need to pray now because he's going to die. So it was the whole community praying for you. Um, then, five days later, they did an operation. And actually, the only guy that was willing to work on him was, was an Indian doctor. And um, at that time, the children at the orphanage in India was also praying for India, uh, for Ian. So, it was actually a God thing that the Lord would send as an Indian doctor to work on Jan. He was a, I say name Yeah, he was like a, a God's specialist. Uh, he's from the domestic service. Yeah, he's doing like all transplants and babies. So, um, so yeah, I remember the risk for this operation is that I didn't know if his esophagus would be able to stretch so that they can mend him. So it was a 50-50. And it was the longest day of my life. I remember we went to, me and Anna, we went to the ocean and just uh, there at the restaurant to be and just praying. And um, when we got back to the, to the hospital, he came out and he said it was 
Not without its complications. Yeah, not without its complications. So, um, on Christmas Day, it was the 25th, it was the first time that I was able to hold the yarn. Um, he was on a ventilator, and, um, and it was just so comfortable. I remember one at one stage, I said, and I can't pray anymore, I don't have any faith. And she just said to me, I don't need to worry about that because we have the community that's praying for us. So, um, the best day was when they said, Ian can come out of us here and going home. That was about 20, 25 days after the, he was born. And it was just so overwhelming. I got home and our whole house was full of balloons. Um, the community helping us. And that's when I realized I can't stay in any other place. It's, it's like when you don't have faith, you have these people around you that has faith. And it wasn't faith for money to go on a trip or, or on a missions trip or faith to get a visa. You know, those things that I was, that was always stretching my faith. So, Ian um, is a miracle. Um, after that, it was almost every three months that he went back to hospital with lung, he had a lung condition. Um, and also, again, very close calls, he didn't know if he would make it. Um, and again, I, <laughs> I think Anna is the grandma who slept the most nights and days in hospital than anybody I know. So, Yo, we were sleeping always next to Ian. I think, um, yo, he was in hospital on and off and on and off. So last year was the first year that Ian wasn't sick at all. Um, he, he missed his grade all year because he was sick, so we had to keep him back. <coughs> but he's healthy now. Um, and just one other thing that I needed to add is um, when Ian was about five years old, I, I really, it was just too much for me to angle. You know, you have this amazing miracle that the Lord has done. But um, then I just couldn't wake up in the mornings, get out of bed. Um, and I was diagnosed with depression. So it, it came out of all the stress, you know, you don't know who's going to live or not. So during that time, it was really a difficult time for me. Um, you know, the feeling that you don't even want to live. It's, you get out, but there's nothing driving you. And you can pray as much as you want, but the feeling of, I don't want to live, I don't have the energy. Um, so yeah, that's where the community came again. Um, Dr. Haneke was amazing to get me through the right people. Um, and it took about two years for me to recover um, from that. And during that time, I was actually in hospital for that for three weeks. It was again <coughs> bringing food, um, driving my kids around. I mean, Adna and I is always there, they're like family. 
So, um, yeah, I think today I, I can say I'm recovered, but it was a really difficult time for me. So, um, in the end, it was a certain more to use for that, and I believe I have to go through that. So, yeah, I think Franco asked me why I'm a part of this community. It's because this is our life. It's my kids are part of the community. It's my best friends are part of this community. So it's not something that everybody has. I don't think you always know how fortunate we are with that. Thanks, Anita. Uh, I think there's, there's a lot of, uh, and I want to say this, and Anna Marie said it yesterday, I think it's important that in the next, you know, going into this five weeks uh, of values and this weekend is part of the question is, do you want to be part of the, your status? Is it family or is your status guest? Um, again, we love guests, but there's something that happens when you decide to step into this community. And there's a lot of communities, there's a lot of people, but in this community that God, this flavor, this, this grouping that God put together here, Something that just, it, which is pretty much a highlight and a low light in my, li in my life um, at the same time that is something that made me stick to this community. Um, about eight years ago, I was in a really bad space. I was, in a, I was in a really bad space spiritually. I was making some really bad decisions. I messed up. I was... Um, I realized the day my wife put the kids in the car and said goodbye, we're leaving you. And I had to watch the car drive out of the yard. It was probably one of the hardest days of my life. And I mean, she had reason to leave me. And I remember I had to, I'm in this place where I remember standing in my kitchen, lifting my arms up. I'm alone. Every day. Empty and quiet, my family just left. And I remember putting my hands up in the air out loud in the kitchen saying, God, are you leaving me too? Because that's what it felt like. And God was, you know, God is not going anywhere. But sometimes you need to hear from people around you. And at that time I lost a lot of friends. And you know, when you when you when you do nice things. And when you sing up front with the guitar and you, you do things nice, everyone is going to put you here and say, you know, sing us a song, do us a something. But when, when you start to make bad decisions, people want to make you kind of disappear under the carpet. People don't want to talk about it. They just want to, you know. And I had this, one of the moments is, um, Anna Marie asked me to speak to the church leaders at that time, up in her house. I, I cycled there, I remember with my yellow, yellow bicycle, and I walked up to them and Stefan and, and uh, David and Willem and Jakes and these guys were sitting there and I remember sitting in front of them confessing the things I, I was busy with, things I, you know, how, what was going on. And I just said to these guys, you're my leadership. So I just want to say, I'm sorry. And I remember crying there. And as I said, losing a lot of friends at that time was, you know, I kind of got used to people saying, you know, thanks for your time, goodbye. But I'll never forget that day where the first response was that Johan was they just said, let's start praying for this guy. 
and he just lay, I remember Johan laying his hands on me and speaking the words of God. You know that question, the question I asked the Lord, are you leading me to? How through a person in this community, he started responding, the Lord using his words, prophesying over my life. And you know, at that stage, I just said, Lord, if you can just save me and give me my family back, I never have to do ministry again. It's okay. I, I understand if you never want to use me again. I, want to stand, I understand if I never be in leadership again. I understand all these things. And one of the moments and something that makes this community different from most places I've seen in there is, I'll never forget Jake's walking up to me, putting his hands on my shoulders from the back, and these words was, Francie, the Lord says your time for ministry is not over. This is not the end. And and I wanna I wanna and it's it's one sentence, but it's one sentence that changed my entire life. I had to I, I could go in one of two directions. But the fact that someone in this community was willing to stand there at that moment and say, this is not the end of the line, not even for ministry. That changed my life. And I want to invite you guys, as, as we close off, I want to invite you guys, will you just pour yourself completely, if you can commit, just pour yourself into this community, into these people. And that's the first thing I want to ask, jump in and become family. Put your heart into it. But secondly, I want to ask, and then I'm done, is will you also in this, if you are part of this family, will you also be that community that put your hands on someone and say it's not the end of the line? Will you also be that community that 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 forget about yourself and and, and even though I've, I've almost I, I mean now when I had covered, I know people that have that don't even have enough food in their own house, but they bring to me. Will you be part of this community? It's my heart, it's my desire. So I'd like to pause just when Jesus instituted the, the uh, communion, he said, you know, this is my body that is broken for you. This is my blood, right? And then we're called the body of Christ. Now think about it. If Jesus says, this is my body that was broken, think about it for a second. You know, did Jesus have a body before he came to earth? Did he have a human body? No. He didn't have a human body before he came to earth, right? So what happened? He became one with us, taking on the very essence of who we are. Okay? And then, think about this, right? This body is broken then. And then he says this, he says this, he's resurrected. And what does he have when he have, is resurrected? Is he in the same state that he was before coming to earth? What, is he, what did he receive? What, did, what, is, what was he risen with? Hey? A glorified body and then the Bible says he will be the first of many we will receive we become that's what it says we become we will become one flesh this is how we are one with Jesus isn't it amazing Jesus went up into heaven did he leave that body when he when he went into heaven no he took that body as a placeholder for all of us into heaven right so he took a resurrected flesh he came he become like us and into eternity, it takes something of us into eternity. Think about it. You know, God in who He is takes something of us into eternity forever as a placeholder. He says, I desire to be so one with you 
desire to be so one with you. I'll take something of you into eternity on me. It's a tremendous thought if you think the God of the universe, this, you know, Jesus, the Son of God, is willing to be with us in such a way that He takes this. But then He doesn't just do it one direction. He does it the other direction as well. He leaves us with something of Him. What is that? Holy Spirit. Do you see? That's why the picture of uh, Jesus as the bridegroom and us as the bride is this. Even in the very start when God put this picture, He put that, set that picture up so we can see it. He says, and the two will become one flesh. Adam and Eve. The two will become one flesh. And Jesus takes on our flesh. We receive His Spirit. This is what communion is. This is why His body is broken. Because Jesus says another place in, in John 14. He says this, I pray that you will be one like we are one. And then He says, I pray that, we, that you would be one with us. You know? I pray to the Father for this oneness. This is what communion, this is what community really is about. Right? This is our desire to have oneness with God and to have in one of, and this is the mystery, guys. This is the mystery that the world can never fathom. Ne? Three can be one. Ne? Trinity. Three can be one. And then the mystery of marriage is two can be one. It's a mystery. Right? And then there's another mystery. It's the mystery of the church. Many can be one. Do you see it? It's profound if we think about how God is... And this is what we celebrate then. In communi community, but in communion. That this was this. And I, I, I want to urge you. And that's why I don't want us to do it as a ritual. I don't want us to do it as a ritual. Right? Your whole meal is communion. Our whole meal and togetherness forms part of what Jesus means with being, having communion. We remember Him that He took us unto Him and He gave who He is unto us. Okay? That's communion. And now we share it commonly. Right? It's not something, it's not just me and Jesus, it's us and Jesus. That's the picture.